Hey, this is John Nettles, and this is the Roots of Revelation podcast, the podcast where we dive into the scripture behind the scripture of Revelation. Welcome back to episode 17. Weirdly, we're on chapter 19 in episode 17. I guess I didn't plan that very well. But today we start talking about winning. And, you know, I think people like to to win. There's a part of us that just likes to be victorious. And it doesn't even have to be our victory. We can, we can live vicariously through our heroes, which I think is another thing that we also as humans need. Someone to look up to. And I think that's part of the way we're created. We are created to worship God. And if we choose not to worship God, we're still going to worship something. And I'm not saying it's always a worship thing where where you look up to somebody like a sports figure, um, like a, like your favorite sports team. Uh, my wife and I watched a show last night called American Idol. Now, I don't know if most people are watching that thinking this is someone to be worshipped, but I mean, it is the name of the show, but it's it's someone that you kind of look up to as like, wow, aren't they so talented? And they're, they have a, a fun personality, and I, I, I'm kind of drawn to that how well they sing, and, and I hope they win. And you start getting to where you actually, you don't know that person, you've never met that person, but you start caring about if they win over that other person. Why is that? Well, I, I just think that there's something innate about us that needs to look up to something or someone and to experience victory through them. And I think that links back to the way we're created. We're created to want to look up to and worship God. And we want to be on a, a winning team and we want to experience really what amounts to his glory. And so we're going to see that today in chapter 19. But before we get into chapter 19, let's recap chapters 17 and 18 quickly. Uh, it seems like every show that you watch these days, it's like a, in a series related order, it'll end up giving you a, a recap of the last episode or maybe in the episode before snippets of it. So you go, oh yeah, that's where we were. Cause it might've been a while since you, since you saw the last one. So let's do that. I'm going to, I'm going to take us back to 17. Um, and we saw that the, there was the, uh, the great prostitute and the beast. We've been talking about them for a while. Um, let's, before we get into this though, let's recap some of the, uh, the forces of darkness that we've seen so far. We have seen, of course, the, uh, the dragon it's Satan. Uh, we've seen the beast. We have seen the false prophet. We've seen the great prostitute, also called Babylon the Great. We've seen death and Hades. So these are interesting names to bring up because we're going to see each of them be checked off the list in the next couple chapters here. So I saw in my, I use a Crossway Bible. I think it's a, it's a good study Bible. I like reading uh, the the notes that are on the bottom of the page. A lot of times there's sometimes there's tables and notes and stuff like that. And it lists some of the, uh, some of the, the bad, the bad people that I just mentioned, um, and kind of describes them a little bit. It says, uh, enemy and method of attack. It says the beast 
intimidating violence. The false prophet, deceptive heresy. And the prostitute, beguiling affluence. So let's kind of keep that in mind as we, we're going to recap that the, the great prostitute slash Babylon uh, was actually in chapter 17 taken out by the beast. The, they, they seem to go hand in hand. Um, the, the affluence of a culture, the, uh, all the, the money, the wealth, the, uh, the decadence, it's all based on being militarily secure and powerful, I guess. But, uh, eventually it turned on itself. Uh, the, the force of darkness turned against each other because, you know, we talked about one of the other episodes, it was kind of like a, one of those, like watching the Godfather or something. There's two powerful people, but one of them decides to backstab the other one because they were never really on the same team. They're always out for them. It's not like the good guys would be together because they respect and admire each other, like each other, love each other, and they're for each other. But whereas the forces of darkness are really out for, out for them and what's how it affects them. So uh, there are times when the, basically I made a comment in the last one. Well, basically the beast, once he got the, the power the military power, the governmental authority didn't need, you know, you have the, the intimidating violence. You can, you can, you don't need to use the carrot anymore when you can just use the stick. Right. So basically I was just, that's my own in reading into it. Maybe you have a different way of looking at it. And again, as I always say, your viewpoint is as good as mine. So I'm not saying my way is always the right way. I'm just, I'm just on here trying to talk about uh, a layman reading revelation, just like you can read it. And I'm just giving you my thoughts on it. So you're, if you have a different take on it, then that's yours as good as mine. But I was thinking that the, when you have the power, you've already got the power there. You don't need to talk, talk anybody into it anymore. So whereas the great prostitute was all about affluence, greed, um, materialism, uh, lust, sinfulness, all about meism, very, very self-centered kind of the social media posts, the, uh, you know, just things like that, that are just, Hey, look at me. That's, that's Babylon the great. Whereas the beast is more like I can kick the door in if you don't answer it. Anyway, the beast ended up taking out in chapter 17, the, uh, the great prostitute. And of course the, that the, the great prostitute slash Babylon kind of symbolized a society. Maybe, maybe it was an actual Babylon. Maybe it was Rome. Maybe it's, it's modern day, uh, Western society. I don't know, but, but it's, it's, it symbolizes some kind of government that is now destroyed. And, and the, what's left is the Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. We talked about, it's just like, a a, a destroyed, burned out city. Basically that happened to Rome. I'm not saying this is what the Bible is talking about here, what revelation is talking about, but it did happen to Rome when the, the Goths and the Visigoths sacked Rome in like four seventy six something like that. And the world just kind of stopped. They like, what just happened? The, this, 
the city we depended on, the whole world was just like looking to the city and it's just gone. And there's this big hole, a smoking hole in the ground that used to be what we based all our commerce on. And, and that's what you see in chapter 18. You see all the, the nations of the world. You, it, it talks about uh, people that, um, that are ship, you know, they, the, the captains of ships and merchants and people like that. They're all saying, like, basically, what are we going to do now? Where's our source of income come from when we were depending on Babylon to be, be the source of our, how are we going to sell anything now? You know, what are we going to do? And there is a point in chapter 18 that I mentioned. Chapter 18, verse 4, it said, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And it's basically saying, get every, you know, all you Christians, just get out of there. Untangle yourself from that. Don't. And then basically, the notes in my Bible uh, basically were saying, Christians shouldn't be making a lot, a lot of alliances with uh, with worldly uh, a governmental entities or whatever. Basically, we should be relying on God, not on our not on alliances and relationships we have with uh, with the world. Our faith should be in God. That's basically what what my take on that was. So that kind of brought us up from seventeen and eighteen. And to where you now, like I said, you see this just what used to be this great city, this great society is now just a burned out pile of ashes. And what's going to happen now? And interestingly, so so anyway, we, we mentioned the force of darkness. Take out the great prostitute. That's one off this one check mark off the list. What what's going to happen now? Well, the in chapter 19 we're finally starting chapter 19 after 10 minutes into this after my short intro there that wasn't so short it said after this i heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out hallelujah so the the heaven is rejoicing at the at the the great prostitute babylon the great is no more Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Now, I just got done saying that the the beast is the one that took out Babylon. Well, if you will remember, we found a verse in chapter 17 in verse, in verse 17, it says, For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and changing over their royal power to the beast. So, so basically, God can control and use the forces of darkness to accomplish his will. Um, God sometimes uses bad actors to create good results. I think about Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Certainly not a godly guy, at least on the front end. Um, he took away all the uh, Jews from Jerusalem after he conquered it, took them away as captives, 
sent them in exile to Babylon. Strangely enough, it's Babylon again. Um, that's where you pick up on that in the story of Daniel. Throughout several books in the Old Testament are talking about about the exile or coming back from the exile. It's basically a huge pivotal point in the Old Testament. But I guess my point in bringing up the Babylonian exile and the captivity is that God had decided because of decades and decades and centuries of of the Israelite people falling away from him and and chasing after idols and God and other gods that and he constantly went to them and said stop doing that stop doing that stop doing that they they just weren't listening and so basically he used the uh, the Babylonian captivity he used Nebuchadnezzar as a tool to reset Jewish society for the next several centuries. And he used Nebuchadnezzar, a very ungodly person, as his chosen instrument to carry all that out. Okay, so um, again, we see that one of the main, in, in verse 2 of 19, it says one of the things that he charged them with was he said he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So he seen that several times now where it's like, that was one of the main things is all the persecution and the, the killing of his saints and the martyrs and all that he sees and he cares and he does stuff about it because he's a just God. So there's all kinds of stuff he puts up with, but eventually what we keep seeing is one of the reasons he does things in pouring out his wrath is he's watching Christians die and be persecuted for their faith. And he doesn't like it. Skipping down to verse four, it said, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen and hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And so now the next, we kind of change the scene up a little bit. And it says, then I heard, this is the, by the way, this is my heading for this part is called the marriage supper of the lamb. Then it seemed, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. There's a good song about that. It's taken from right here, apparently. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. And so, and we see the, uh, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, Jesus several times in the gospels referred to himself as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. And there's a lot of analogies made about that. And and here's where you're seeing basically now that the church is being presented to Christ and there is a, there's a big party. And, and this, this is one of the things that we talked about when we brought up Babylon, the great and the great prostitute, how Satan mimics, but in a twisted, bizarro world way, what God is doing. So Jesus is the bridegroom and his, 
bride is the church. And his bride is described as dressed in fine linen, bright and pure. And it says, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Jesus Christ is described as a beautiful woman. Whereas Satan had a great prostitute. So he mimics, but in a twisted, messed up way. Um, God has a Holy Spirit. Satan had a false prophet. So um, it just shows you the contrast between God and, and Satan. Um, anyway, um, then we get into verse 9. And it says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. So, so this is a party you want to be at. The, the Jesus is now united with his bride, the church, and there's a big party, a big wedding party, a marriage supper. And this is a party that you want to be at. And if you will remember, and I think it was episode three we talked about blessings. There were seven blessings listed in Revelation. This is one of them. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So uh, this is one of the blessings of Revelation right here. Well, that's that's a very beautiful scene. But then we switch over to more of what I was talking about in the introduction. The, wow, look at that guy. That's amazing. Uh, you know, there, uh, there's somebody you look up to and think, man, wow. And that's a different look at Christ. We see the bridegroom here. Earlier in the book, we've seen him as a slain lamb. We are now going to see him as an incredible warrior. The rider on the white horse in chapter in verse 11. Now, which one of these is really Jesus. Is is Jesus the Jesus that was in a fishing boat with the, the apostles? Was hanging out? Was he uh, was he the one that's telling them, "Let the little children come to me"? He seems so gentle and approachable there. The slain lamb that seems like it doesn't seem intimidating. That seems. Uh, it's talking about his sacrifice and his purity and all that, but here he's a warrior. So which one is he? And I would say to you that he is all of them. And I was talking with a friend of mine last week and, uh, hello, Spencer. Uh, I'm going to talk about our conversation a little bit here, but Spencer and I were talking about wh- what is the, what is the nature of Christ? Because, Uh, You see all these different ways to look at him. Well, we talked about, uh, we looked out and his truck was sitting out and we could see it through the window. And we said, which, which view of your truck is the right one? Does your truck have a, a hood and a windshield or does it have a, a bed and a tailgate and a tailpipe? Or if you look at it from the side, does it look different still? And we agreed that all of those were parts of the truck. 
the truck had a windshield the truck has tires and wheels it has a bed a tailgate it has front and back windows i think you get the picture all of those are the actual way the truck really is but they're if you looked at only one of them you would only see one side of that and it would look very different from the others and that's the best analogy we could come up with talking about the nature of Christ, how he could be at once a slain lamb and somebody that loved kids and somebody that cared enough to heal a blind man and then somebody that is a very, very imposing warrior that we see in chapter, or I keep saying chapter, verse 11 he's all of those things but the one we're going to concentrate on right now is the rider on the white horse then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems crowns Probably many crowns because he's the king of kings. Just guessing. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Sounds like John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that is an impressive, imposing figure. That is somebody that you'd want to fall down and worship. And we're made to want to worship, like I talked about earlier. We want to worship the basketball star. We want to worship the singer. But those are are not really the ones we should be worshiping. And John, even like several different times, I think three different times, tried to bow down and worship the angel that's talking to him. And the angel said, don't do that. Don't worship me, worship him. And he was rebuked for doing that. It's in, it's in our nature to want to be impressed and to worship something. So here is our chance to do that. In the right setting, this is the man, the, the person that we're supposed to worship. The, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here he is, and he's in his full glory right here. And he's a warrior, and he's come to make war on what? What's he making war on? Well, it says in 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. Not a good choice. We, that's not the person that you want to make war on. And we're going to see what happens very quickly. It's not even a fair fight. So what happens is when the battle happens that the the beast and the false prophet are both captured and are both thrown into the lake of fire. 
and their armies that followed behind them are also destroyed. And it's just, it just quickly says all that. It doesn't, not a big thing that's drawn out. It's just like you, you fight the rider on the white horse and it's over quickly. So to recap where we are at the end of chapter 19, heading into 20 here, said this earlier, but there's a list of enemies that are talked about in Revelation. Obviously, Satan is the, is the, the giant, enormous, great red dragon. Um, there is a beast that symbolizes intimidating violence. There's a false prophet with deceptive heresy. If you remember at one point, it described the false prophet as it looked like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. That's a kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, spitting out lies. Then there was the prostitute also called Babylon the great. So in chapter 17, we saw the destruction of the prostitute. We now see the destruction of, of the beast and the false and the false prophet and coming up in chapter 20, we're going to see the same thing happen with Satan and then death and Hades. So we're marking, we got an enemies list here and we're marking enemies off the list and we're about halfway through it here. So, uh, come back for episode 18. We'll talk about chapter 20. We'll talk about the thousand years, the thousand year reign. We will talk about the defeat of Satan and we'll talk about the judgment before the great white throne. Should be a pretty exciting episode and, uh, or at least the text is exciting. I don't know if I'll make it exciting or not, but, uh, the text is exciting. So, um, come back for episode 18 and until then, as I always say, Remember that God loves you and have a great day.